sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Hello and welcome to a football Friday live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Well, I'm not sure if we can call it a football Friday with how much else we have going on in the sports landscape at the moment, but still a Friday live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM channel 159. It's the home for SportsGrid radio on Sirius XM all across the SportsGrid network as well. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for being here to round out your week. And we go back directly to Thursday night. A huge sports night, another sports equinox where the NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL all playing on the same night with some college football in the mix as well. And a huge sports night for two sports towns in particular, Philadelphia and Houston. First game number five of the 2022 World Series in the city of brotherly love between those fights, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros entering tied at two games all, a decisive game number five to push one team into the advantage of the 2022 Fall Classic, and it goes the way of the Houston Astros. Three to two, the final last night in Philly. The Astros now a 3-2 lead in the 2022 World Series. And for the first time in his career, making a World Series start in three different decades, Justin Verlander for the Astros gets his first ever career World Series victory. The Astros with the 3-2 to two win. They got on the board early. A run in the first. A Jeremy Pena home run in the fourth. He continues his sensational postseason. But the story last night, Verlander. Five innings of work, only giving up four hits to the Philadelphia Phillies. Just one earned run. A Kyle Schwarbaum in the home half of the first. And going over his strikeouts prop of five and a half. Finishing with six. Noah Syndergaard on the other side. Three innings of work for Rob Thompson and the Philadelphia Phillies over his strikeout prop that was set modestly at two and a half, but not enough in this baseball game for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Houston Astros taking the 3-2 series lead. The Phillies had their chances. 12 runners left on base yesterday, including two runners on the corners in the home half of the eighth when they had an opportunity with one out only when they got those runners on first and third to try to push back and even up the game. But Ryan Presley comes on. He records a five-out save for Houston. A wonderful catch by Chaz McCormick in the home half of the ninth, robbing an extra base hit from JT Riamuto. And Houston takes a 3-2 series lead now in this 2022 World Series. The day off on this Friday, we get ready for game six and potentially seven in Houston over the weekend. And we see that reflected in the series odds at the moment as well. Houston entered last night a minus 190 favorite to win the World Series. Now with a 3-2 series lead, heading back home to H-Town, look at that price, minus 550 heavily in favor of the Astros. So Houston takes the baseball game last night in the 2022 World Series, but it's the Philadelphia Eagles that take the football game between these two cities yesterday to start week number nine of this NFL regular season, a Thursday night football edition in Houston, Texas. The Birds won this football game. We expected Philadelphia to improve to a perfect 8-0, the first time in franchise history the Eagles have ever started off a season, a perfect 8-0. But the story was the spread, a 14-point spread, two touchdowns in favor of the unbeaten Birds. They got off to a slow start. 
The Texans marched down the field on their opening drive to take an early 7-0 lead. We were tied at 14 at the halftime break before Philly pulls away in the second half, winning 29-17. Not covering as a 14-point favorite, but still a double-digit victory. Hey, welcome to our Sports Grid radio audience here, the opening hour of a Friday Live on the morning after. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. A huge Thursday evening across the world of sports. A huge Thursday evening specifically in two sports towns, Houston and Philadelphia. The Astros take the baseball game, game number five for a 3-2 series lead in the World Series. The Eagles take the football game in Houston last night. The Birds winning 29-17. to Jalen Hurts did not find the end zone, but Miles Sanders did. He scored a touchdown early on in that game for the Birds, going over his rushing yards prop of 79 and a half. A.J. Brown also finding the end zone, but slightly under his receiving yards prop of 69 and a hook. Nothing for Devontae Smith. Either Dallas Goddard did score a touchdown the tight end for the Eagles. Damian Pierce, a huge night for the sensational rookie. Well over his rushing yards prop of 64 and a half, but not finding pay dirt as well. And the Eagles' price to win the NFC Championship remains the same. Still the shortest number. The Birds a favorite still. Plus 195 over three and a half dollars shorter than the second best price you see there the 49ers and the cowboys tied for the second best odds a big night across the world of sports and we go now to the nba the off the court issues with kyrie irving who has now been suspended by the brooklyn nets for five games at least without pay this all following the saga of kyrie irving promoting a film that has been debunked as anti-semitic through his social media outlets. He had a press conference yesterday following a statement from the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie in conjunction where Kyrie Irving did not apologize, leading to this five-game suspension at least from the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets also releasing a statement that says in part, quote, such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing, is against the values of our organization, and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets, end quote. We will have further discussion about this situation later on in hour number two. But we set the stage for the rest of week number nine of this NFL regular season. It started last night on a Thursday in Houston. It will continue to roll through a Sunday slate in the NFL as well. Mike Blewett joins the show live next year on the morning after on Sports. Come back and join us. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A football Friday. Live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid and Sirius <clears throat> XM, Channel 159. If it is a football Friday, of course, Mike Blewett, one of the co-hosts of Pro Football Today, each and every Sunday, live right here on the Spiz Grid, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time, joins us on a Friday on the morning after. Mike Blewett, we are both working from home today. You have the terrible towel over your right shoulder. I have my big we 10 pennants above both of my shoulders. We are donning our favorite leagues, our favorite teams, our favorite things in the world of football. It is great to be here with you again on a Football Friday on TMA. 
Absolutely, buddy. Uh, glad to see you uh, are up and about and doing shows, and we're excited to obviously be doing this. Uh, shout out to your Coastal Carolina call. I know you're very proud of that, and uh, uh, they, them running their triple option is something we'll get to a little bit later in the next segment, running our own version of the triple option. Ooh, I like that. Our favorite side, favorite total, and favorite prop for week number nine in the Sunday slate. It was a huge week, though, Blewett, in the National Football League. The trade deadline just a few days ago, and it was one of the more active in-season trade deadlines we have seen following one of the more active off-seasons in terms of acquisitions we had seen in a very long time in the National Football League. And one of the biggest moves, the Miami Dolphins acquiring Bradley Chubb from the Denver Broncos, and then Miami said, hey, great to have you in South Beach, Bradley. Here's a ton of money. A five-year deal, $119 million, over 63 mil guaranteed. Obviously, investing in one of the best young pass rushers in all of the National Football League. And the Dolphins will take Bradley Chubb and the rest of their team to Chicago. The Windy City on Sunday inside Soldier Field blew it as a four, four-and-a-half-point favorite as we've seen this line fluctuate a little bit for this matchup on Sunday against the Bears. How much of an immediate impact do you expect Bradley Chubb to have for the Dolphins, and how might it change your evaluation of Miami at this point? I'm more, I've been more bullish on Miami than I think most have been. I do think this, I, I thought from the beginning, this is absolutely a playoff team. I do appreciate the way that they are stacking talent, trying to go all in and they've obviously been able to utilize a lot of draft picks that they acquired through other means in order to build this team up in a way that we probably didn't see happening 18 months ago so kudos to them i think bradley chubb is a very talented pass rusher but he is not explosive in the way that say uh, a tj watt is or even a miles garrett is i think he does overall boost the performance of that defensive line and your ability to get pass rush. I just don't, I don't see him ever being a 20 sack guy. That does not mean he's not worth the money and worth trading for, but uh, I, I think it was an important step for them to continue to upgrade that defense. I think you'll see some continued moves during this off season in order to try to shed some salary to pay for him as well. And like Mike Kosicki's not going to be on the team next year. Byron Jones is unlikely to be on the team next year. I'm already sort of paying for Bradley Chubb for next year. And I do think it puts them in a position to compete better this year. Uh, do I think they're still better? Do I think they're any better than the elite teams, including the team that's on top in their division? No, but that's okay. This is a gradual process when teams are building up and they're trying to open up a window whereby they can win a championship with a quarterback on a rookie deal. Absolutely so. And you look at Tua Tungabailoa, 5-0, and a perfect number in the starts that he has made this year for Miami. And those numbers right there to win the AFC East going to be difficult given the Buffalo Bills are in that division. The conference still runs through Buffalo or Kansas City, and I'm not sure Miami is at that level just yet. But the key number I would say blew it for the Finns at this moment, minus 310 to make the postseason. Heavily favored to get into the AFC playoffs, and that is a very good thing for Miami at this moment where we stand entering week number nine. Chicago also active at the trade deadline, dealing away guys like Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith to Baltimore, but also acquiring Chase Claypool from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He will be an added weapon for Justin Fields to utilize. And in the last couple of weeks, we have seen an improvement in that Chicago offense led by their second-year quarterback 
in Justin Field. So all of that coming to a head. Sunday inside Soldier Field between the Dolphins and the Bears, two of the more active teams ahead of this NFL trade deadline. Of course, the Bears blew it playing in the NFC North, where right now the Minnesota Vikings sit in that top spot. A 6-1 record straight up and a minus 850 favorite blew it to win the NFC North division at this moment on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Do you feel as strongly about the Vikings as the odds would indicate here? It's a good question because I've been saying very consistently that I think the Vikings are probably the most overlooked 5-1, and one, now 6-1 and one team that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Part of it is for people's expectations for the Packers to bounce back, but the Packers are such a mess right now. They have a long way to go to catch up. And this is just about distance at this point. It doesn't feel like Minnesota is a minus 850 kind of favorite, but right. who's going to catch them? It's four games now. It's we got a three and a half game lead. So that's a lot to lose in a, an NFL season. When you start to look at the Vikings schedule, they got some other wins out there. They got to play the Bears. They've got the the Pats and Jets in Minnesota, the, the Colts and Giants in Minnesota. Those are all winnable games. You start to stack them up, feel like Minnesota can get yep. to 11 wins. Are the Packers really going to get to 11 wins at that at this point? They're three and five. They're not getting to 11 wins. And we'll see exactly how that looks. The Green Bay Packers, a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road this week in Detroit. The Vikings blew it, a three-point favorite on the road against the Washington Commanders. The Vikings adding TJ Hawkinson, an intra-division trade from the Detroit Lions. He will be added to an already pretty explosive offense under Kirk Cousins with guys like Justin Jefferson as well. We showed that line against the Commanders, a team that is an even 500 four and four they have won three straight football games the last two outright as an underdog they play in the nfc east which is maybe the best division in all of football can the commanders make it three straight winning outright as an underdog against minnesota i think it's possible this is really one of the more unique lines on the board i I think it goes into what i was saying before a lot of people not really sure exactly what the Vikings are great at. Everybody knows Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. They've added more weapons now, and you can't expect Irv Smith to be back anytime soon. And that was a that was a component of needing TJ Hawkinson on this team. Uh, but Washington kind of fighting back in, a, in an interesting way with Taylor Heineke. Uh, Chase Young is going to be in the mix soon, if not this weekend, then very shortly thereafter. And I just feel as if Washington is fighting back a little bit more than they did previously. Now, it's a flat three right now. Right. I feel like this is a game that could be a push. I mean, the game against the Colts for the commanders went right down to the wire the other day. That would not surprise me if this is the case here. Minnesota is winning games, but they're not doing it with fervor and blowing teams out, Ben. So I expect this to be a tight game right now sort of leaning to just taking the points with the home dog. The Vikings, the fourth best odds to win the NFC at this moment. The teams that had two of the three best prices to start off this year blew it. The Bucs were the favorites to win the NFC title. The reigning Super Bowl champs, the Rams, tied for the second best price alongside the Green Bay Packers, who are also below 500. Blew it. It was deadline week. Neither of these two teams really made any moves. Were you surprised by that as we get ready for this showdown in Tampa on Sunday? I think the Rams really did try to acquire a running back a couple of times over, and it just didn't really work out for them. So 
these are both teams with a decent amount of age on their squads, bloated salaries in a few instances. And I, I don't know what kind of wholesale changes they were going to be able to make for this reason. Mm-hmm. They're both in desperate need of offensive line help, and people aren't trading those guys. Yeah, three-point spread in favor of the Bucks. Have fun trying to handicap that football game. I'll just be watching I'm to a, see what I'm happens. The, the hell Rams, out of it three and four. Oh, oh, here we go. And that's what we will do. Blew it, a pro's pro, leading us into the triple option, our favorite side, favorite total, and favorite prop for week number nine in the Sunday slate in the NFL. Up next on TMA. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Now, who do you think is the lowest scoring team in the second half of games? I'll answer it for you. That's right, the Tennessee Titans. So 16.7 points per game for the Chiefs in the second half. Titans, 4.3 points per game in the second half. Uh, They obviously have been running the ball. They've been in the lead, so there hasn't always been a motivation for Tennessee to push it. But I do see this game playing out probably not dissimilar to last night's game where they're throwing haymakers in the first half, scoring some touchdowns on one another. But Kansas City, second half adjustments, they get get out there and they're able to score. I don't even have to lay a touchdown in this instance, so I'll take Kansas City laying a touchdown, excuse me, six points in the second half. I do think that they will create some distance in the second half and win this game. Blue, and I find this game fascinating. It's a 12 and a half point yeah. spread in favor of KC. I know they're home inside Arrowhead on a Sunday night, and I know how good the Chiefs are, maybe even in comparison to the Titans, but Tennessee has won five straight football games. This 12 and a half point yeah. spread, I think, is an indication, at least right now, Blue, that we're not so sure who's starting at quarterback and the 12 and a half point spread would probably say it's Malik Willis getting the start yeah. for Tennessee against Kansas city. And you can see even with what the Titans have done, even with their stronghold on the AFC South, and even with the fact they were the number one overall seed in the AFC postseason last year, they're still 20 to one to win the AFC title at the moment, the seventh best odds. You're talking about a second half number. I'm looking at a first half spread for a game that also features one of those top teams in the AFC and a double-digit number for the game overall. The Buffalo Bills on the road in MetLife against Gang Green, the New York Jets. The line was 12.5 earlier this week. It has trickled down by a point, 11.5 though still, in favor of Buffalo. Blue, and I hate it. I think it's too easy almost to look at the first half. It's the common thought, right? All right, it's a big spread in favor of the Bills. If they take their foot off the gas in the second half and New York makes it a game, let's just focus on the first half. But it it feels like that's the way of this game. When you look at what Buffalo has done, the second best scoring team in the first half in the NFL, averaging just a tick less than 17 points per game. And in their last three first halves, averaging nearly 22 points per game. Meanwhile, the Jets, the 11th worst first-half scoring offense in the league, under 10 points per game and only about a touchdown their last three weeks. That would be heavily in favor of Buffalo laying the six and a hook in that opening half, and it's less than a touchdown, so I like that number. And we'll take it one step further. The New York Jets have been great this year, exceeding our expectation at the very least, a five-and-three football team, and four of those five victories outright. They are four-and-three against the spread, As an underdog, well, all three of the non-covers 
have come at home, including last week against the New England Patriots. So the Jets, for whatever reason, not as good at covering numbers as an underdog inside MetLife. I'll take that to the first half. Buffalo laying six and a half in that opening two quarters blew it, but I don't necessarily love it, if I'm being honest. It feels too easy. I like it, though. I think that's the right way to attack it. I think the Bills come out playing their offense the way they want to play it. Obviously, they have a new weapon now. We'll see if we can utilize Naeem Hines early in the first half. But uh, I think I think you have an opportunity here to, to win that one. So I, I think that's the right way to attack it. It keeps you out of the, the large spread game. Like we saw last night, Philly Truth. laying two touchdowns on the road. You know, people were sweating that either way the whole night, and the Texans end up covering. So move over to... Uh, yet another second half wager, Ben. We got Seattle at Arizona, the second half over of 24 and a half. I think everybody by now knows famously the Cardinals are really struggling to score in the first quarter. And yep. Seattle has had a lot of shootouts in the second half of games. Uh, uh, touchdowns being traded back and forth. I think this is a high scoring game. I think these two, te- two teams are going to get after it. Kyler versus Geno. I'm excited about it. And the second half total of 24 and a half is something that's pretty appealing to me. I think we will see a bunch of points in the second half. And I, I think instead of betting the over and having to sweat out that first half where Arizona might not be scoring, I think you sit down uh, with a, a cold beverage and a snack in the second half and watch the points flow. I think the second half will be a high scoring affair. That sounds like a lovely, lovely Sunday Doesn't afternoon. It? Blew it. My I'm favorite total, myself. my favorite prop is, and, and hey, that's all we can hope for. My favorite prop in that game as well. I'll get to that in just a little bit. My favorite total is another one that feels like it might be a little bit too easy. And if you're ever saying that about the National Football League, you are wrong. You do not know more than the odds makers sending these numbers. But, Blewett, it is tied for the highest total of this weekend, along with Seattle and Arizona in another game in there. It's 49.5 for the game total overall between the Chargers and the Falcons in Atlanta on Sunday. Now, there are just nine teams in the NFL, nine of 32 NFL teams this year, that have played more than 50% of their games to an over. Both the Bolts and the Dirty Birds fit into that equation in a year where we have seen historic low-scoring NFL football games. The Chargers have gone over in four of seven, four of their last five. The Falcons over in five of eight games overall this year and in two straight. And we're talking about two top 11 scoring offenses. The Falcons averaging 25 points per game. The Chargers 23.4 points per game. And two of the four worst scoring defenses in the NFL. Atlanta is fourth worst. They allow pretty much 26 points per game. The Chargers are the second-worst scoring defense in the NFL, allowing 27 points per game when you have two good scoring offenses, or at least teams that can put up points, against two bad defenses that have a hard time keeping their opponents out of the end zone. I'm not sure how we don't get to the over of 49.5. And And yet again, here I am saying it feels easy, which leaves a shiver down my spine. Look, those are the teams, that, those are the games that we're going to look at where points are going to be scored. I think Atlanta right. has done a great job of staying in these games, but they really have struggled to stop opposing offenses with maybe the exception of the Browns. And I don't know that the Browns offense is all that potent, great rushing attack, but not necessarily potent in terms of scoring points, at least not consistently. So 
I like where you're at. And back on my on, on my previous point, Arizona, despite the fact that they don't score a lot of points, they score 14 points per game in the second half. It's third in the league. So uh, that's why we're looking towards these games. We do expect points to be scored. I'll go with my prop. I'm keeping it pretty simple. We talked about the Minnesota-Washington game earlier. And Washington just trading in a defensive back, William Jackson, to the Steelers. I think Justin Jefferson is going to be there. And he's going to have a big day. He's had four games in a row where he's gotten over his number. The number right now should be in the mid to high 80s. So Justin Jefferson over on the receiving yards prop. Obviously, I'll give out many more on pro football today. But this is one that you'll hear consistently from me. I think Justin Jefferson has a really good day. And that is the triple option for Mike Lewitt. Mike very, very well done. I will go with my favorite prop. It's in a game where you expect a lot of points between the Cardinals and the Seahawks. I would agree. I'm looking at DeAndre Hopkins. I'm a little bit not nervous of what that number is going to be now, given his first two games this season in 2022 after serving that six-game suspension to start the year. But the stat lines have been ridiculous, Mike Lewitt. Last week against those Minnesota Vikings, 12 grabs on 13 targets for a buck 59 and a touchdown. And in his debut on a Thursday night against the Saints, 10 receptions on 14 targets for 103 yards. I bet his prop last night, or on that game, I should say, that Thursday night football game against the Saints, where there was an expectation that Kyler would target DeAndre, and he did, and the prop was at 60 and a half that game. I'm thinking it's probably going to be closer to the low 80s, like you mentioned, for Justin Jefferson. But even last year, DeAndre Hopkins, pretty consistent. At least 53 yards in eight of the 10 games that he played last year for the Cardinals. And when you look at this Seattle passing defense, bottom half of the NFL, giving up about 237 through the air, I just think Kyler is happy to have D-Hop back. He is going to look at Nuke a ton. We have seen the target share 14 in the opening game against the Saints. 13 last week against the Vikes, and that volume leads us to an over on whatever the number is. Hopefully, though, Blewett, it doesn't get too high. Agreed. I think just by sheer force of volume, you're going to see a lot of DeAndre Hopkins props hit over the course of the season. This week, you have some really high-profile receivers playing against pass defenses that leave a lot to be desired. I'm targeting one in Justin Jefferson. You're targeting one in DeAndre Hopkins. You have Tyreek Hill going up against a lackluster pass defense as well as T. Yep. Higgins. So a couple other guys as well. Mike Blewett, thank you for the highlights as always. Plenty more to come on Pro Football today starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday live on SportsGrid. Blewett, you are the best. We look at the World Series up next here on the Morning app. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A day off from the 2022 Fall Classic. We change cities. We go from Philadelphia to Houston for game number six, where the Astros head home, needing just one win to wrap up a World Series championship with two opportunities potentially in H-Town. As we look forward to game number six and look back on what we have seen in Philadelphia, we welcome Rob Friedman live on a Friday right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. The man known as the Pitching Ninja from FanDuel joins us here on 
TMA. Rob, it was a fantastic show the last three days in Philly. The first time hosting a World Series since 2009. And, of course, that Philly crowd brought all the atmosphere we could desire. What did you make of what we saw in the city of brotherly love? Well, number one, I love I love when fans are into the game like that. I thought that was that was great. That was one of the highlights for me, like seeing baseball fans that crazy. Um, love the town, love the energy. Uh, you know, I, I loved watching Bryce Harper go at it. So I, I love the way, and and I love watching everybody attack him because he's a tough hitter. So uh, pitching has ruled. Uh, last night was no exception, and that's yeah. another thing I love. So it's been a fun World Series. Rob, let's start with the pitching there, and especially last night for Justin Verlander, who has been in Major League Baseball for nearly two decades. He is one of two pitchers in the history of the sport to start a World Series game in three separate decades. And finally, last night, after a career of struggles in the Fall Classic, picks up his first victory. How significant must that be for Verlander in an illustrious Major League Baseball career? Oh, it, it's huge. Like he may not say it's huge, but it's obviously a big deal. He needed, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, legendary pitcher, but that was the one thing he didn't have. And and getting that, you can see after the game, the emotion that he had, it was a big deal. He'd never let it on beforehand, but it was big. And he started to get worried when, when Schwarber hit a home run that first at bat, like you're going, oh, is it going to happen again? And he turned it around. Right. What was the biggest change, Rob, that you saw in mechanics and in pitch style and attacking hitters for Verlander that worked last night that didn't in the opening game of this World Series? Uh, the, the biggest difference was his slider. His slider in the in the first game, he didn't get a single whiff on it. And for Verlander to not get a whiff on his sliders, obviously one of his best pitches. Yesterday it was back. He threw it a lot more, threw it with more conviction. I know he said something, it was mechanical, that he wasn't, he was getting off his back leg too soon in game one and because of, because of his previous injury, lower half injury. Um, you know, all, I could see that he was throwing it with a little more conviction, following through a little better with it. And that made a lot of difference because they were going to key on his heater. I mean, after getting dominated by Javier the previous game, they knew that that was the thing on them, was that they were going to you know, just go again with heaters and then having that slider in his back pocket that he could whip out. That was a difference maker. And much to the delight of the pitching ninja, both Syndergaard and Verlander over their K props last night. So we put to bed once and for all the theory of postseason K prop unders that have spurned me throughout this postseason, but not Rob <laughs> Freeman because he has looked at that and said, ha ha, Ben, I would never. So Rob, let's paint the picture of what we have seen here through five games in this World Series. Philly comes back home. They win game number three. They absolutely murder baseballs all across the yard. But then Christian Javier and the rest of that Astros staff combines for a no-no in game number four, an even series at two games all. And then they capped that off last night. Ryan Presley holds it down, a five-out save, 3-2. The Astros win the game and take the series lead by that margin as well, three games to two. So, Rob, how would you describe the momentum shift that we have seen in this World Series as we get ready to go back to Houston for game number six? I think the momentum shift is huge. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you never count Philly out because they can turn it around. Obviously, this is turned around on a dime, but it's huge. Now I feel like, I mean, you feel almost like Philly is behind the eight ball, that it's over in a lot of people's minds. I wouldn't write them off, but I do feel that 
energy has been kind of sucked out of them because of Houston's pitching. And it's going to be really tough to get to them two straight games, I would imagine. Although the one thing that's jumped out at me that that I think a lot of people didn't expect, I had seen it coming with the back end of Philly of the Philly bullpen, but uh, Brogdon looked fantastic. And I thought that the Philly right. bullpen overall has looked way better than previous years. And it's something that the Philly fans should look forward to, even if they don't pull it out. But they might. You know what? With that, with that bullpen coming alive, who knows? Right? You never know. Listen, this is why we play the games. This is why the Fightings are here in the first place. They have been in this underdog spot pretty much all season long, certainly throughout the playoffs. So let's turn our attention now to game number six tomorrow in Houston. It's Zach Wheeler for Philadelphia. It's Fromber Valdez getting the start at home for the Houston Astros. Rob, let's focus on the underdog here first for the Phils. If you're Rob Thompson, if you're the city of Philadelphia, how excited are you to have Zach Wheeler in this spot when your season is on the line? I love Zach Wheeler, big game pitcher, great stuff. He does seem to be a little bit tired right now. Um, hopefully he's got, he, you know, you can't be tired, right? Like you, you can't afford to be tired, but physically has been drained. Um, you know, that would be my only concern, but they will have that bullpen to go back on. You you know, say Wheeler, go as hard as you can, as long as you can. Hopefully he goes deep for him and they're able to close it out. But either way, um, they've got their horse on the mound. So you've got to be able, you got to be kind of excited going into that game. Rob, if you are Rob Thompson right now, you are Rob Freeman. If you're Rob Thompson, though, right now, how many innings do you need out of Zach Wheeler tomorrow night in Houston to set up a successful game plan for game number six? I mean, he's got to go five, I would think. I mean, five really, you know, give it give it your best, leave everything on the field, and, uh, you know, go as long as you can. I'm not saying he can't get, you know, if he's four and dominant and they're able to bring somebody in, you know, with that depth that's now showing up in the bullpen, right. you never know. But I'd like to see, you know, Wheeler go five or six. Art, I mean, seven would be great, but that's asking a lot. That would be asking a ton, but would be an all-time pitching performance when his team needs it the most. On the other side, it's Framber Valdez going up against this Philadelphia offense, Rob, that has been great at home, trying to bring some of that magic from the city of brotherly love to Houston. What do you think of getting off to a hot start in this baseball game, the first inning? We saw two runs scored in yesterday's first inning how important will that be for philadelphia if they are going to squeak out a victory as the underdog in game six yeah i mean putting some pressure on on houston would be big obviously because the deeper you get the you know houston's depth wears you down they just don't have their pitching doesn't have a weakness it's been outstanding other than a few bumps and starting pitching but yeah i would say it's it's big if you can get to them early obviously fromber is a stud um, and I think the world is coming to know that now. I mean, if you didn't pay attention to his 25 uh, quality starts in a row during the season, you've got to pay attention to him now. And that staff is t- like with, with Fromber yeah. and, and, and Javier, like those are not household names for most fans They're household names for me, but not most fans. And you're looking at them and those guys are unhittable. And you saw the over-under for the runs scored in the first inning yesterday at half a run, a yes-run first inning, or a nerfy, a no-run first inning. Well, the no would have the juice at minus 132 right now. So, Rob, let's pretend that for most of them out there, they're not exactly sure or familiar with Framber Valdez. And you might be able to find some plus money if you listen to the Pitching Ninja right now. What should we expect from Valdez tomorrow in game number six? 
I mean, I would expect him to continue to attack. His his curveball is is legit one of the best curveballs in baseball. Yeah, and and I would say him mixing up his pitches and and going to that curveball for K's. I like him over on K's. I mean, I think six and seven are both doable. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him really rack up a bunch. Uh, Wheeler is an, you know, I think it depends on which Wheeler shows up. If it's the Wheeler that is, you know, that showed up earlier in the postseason with a lot of energy um, and everything going, clicking on all cylinders, you know, he's going to, he's going to get his K's as well. That's just a little bit more of a crapshoot for me because I know he's been worn down a little bit. Rob, of course, with you, we always talk pitching, and we highlight the outstanding arms that we have seen throughout this postseason now here in the 2022 World Series. But we have seen a fair bit of offense as well. When you look at the guys at the dish, what do you think of game number six? Who needs to impress you the most come tomorrow night in Houston? Yeah, I mean, Harper, obviously, it's an easy name to jump on, and he's been, you know, really, really good. Um, you know, they they do have their plan of attack on him. It doesn't seem to be shutting him down at all. I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to be hot. Um, and Bregman has been outstanding. Like, I just love his at-bats. Such a smart hitter. Uh, and and he's seen Wheeler, obviously. He knows how, to, he knows how he's going to plan to attack him. That's a good matchup, and I think Bregman may come through big in that game. Like he's he's just a he's he's a tough postseason out. He is a very very tough postseason out. We didn't see much from Kyle Tucker. We didn't see much from Jordan Alvarez, but maybe they can pick it up with some home runs back in Houston as well. So, Rob, as we look at the World Series MVP market right now, where we stand, five games done. The Astros with a three-two lead as they head back home. To Houston at this moment, Rob Freeman, who gets your vote for World Series MVP? That's that's hard. I mean, I get that. Like, I'm going to go with a pitcher, right? Like, if you're asking me, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> like, I love. I mean, what Javier did in that game, a combined no hitter. You've never seen a, a combined no hitter, or as I call it, a Kono to make it cool because everybody's like <laughs> combined no hitter. I think it should have its own name. A Kono is the way to go. Kono. So, yeah, but uh, you know that was great. I think Valdez, if he has another another impressive outing, will have a shot at it. But you know, Pena has been so good, and you know, it, yeah, it's he's he's another guy. Like I, this thing I love about the World Series is you create new sharp stars or show or shine the light on ones that existed that maybe everybody didn't know. Um, so this has yep. been really fun in that from that standpoint. Jeremy Pena has scored a run in all but one game in this World Series. Of course, the home run last night to push Houston to the advantage in the top half of the fourth. He has been absolutely sensational. We remember the moments in the ALDS of Jordan Alvarez and absolutely hammering that baseball. Who got on Who got on the bases to make that the go-ahead game-winning walk-off run? Jeremy Pena. He has been a huge component of this Astros lineup offensively, and that's why his number is as short as it is to win the World Series MVP. All right, Rob Freeman. Here we go. You are the pitching ninja. Help us handicap this World Series. 3-2 in favor of Houston. They head back for game number six tomorrow. They are the favorites with Valdez on the bump against Zach Wheeler and the Phils. And the heavy favorites to win this World Series now at minus 550. Will it be done in game number six? Or will we go the distance and see a seventh game in the 2022 World Series? My instincts are they get it done um, but it's going to depend on Wheeler a lot. Uh, I, 
I would ride Valdez, you know, as, as he, he is your horse. He's such a good pitcher. I'd be surprised if he turns up a dud, but Wheeler, if Wheeler steps it up, like he had been, you know, the runs are going to be tough to get. So who knows? Yeah. And that total for tomorrow night, game number six is at seven, the under the slight bit of the juice. This is the stage. These are the moments you remember for a career, these postseason performances. If Zach Wheeler can give that for the Phils to force the two best words in sports, game seven, that would be something I think the public at large would love to see. The Pitching Ninja fan duels, Rob Freeman, helping us break down the 2022 World Series. Rob, thank you so much. Enjoy all that is in store for Houston this weekend. Thanks. I'm glad to have a day off. I can rest a little bit. Get some sleep, Rob. Get some sleep. Maybe <laughs> cut up some cool Pitching Ninja videos, but make sure you take a couple naps as well. We round out this opening hour of the morning after. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Rounding out our number one of the morning after live right here on this Friday, potentially a football Friday, but tons to get to in the world of sports right here on the morning after on Sports Grid and Sirius XM channel 159. It is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM all across the Spiz Grizz network. That's Sports Grid. And I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Friday, not only to round out our number one, but your week as well. Setting the stage for the weekend, NFL week number nine. Starting yesterday on a Thursday in Houston, the Texans and the Eagles, the perfect unbeaten birds, remain that way. Now 8-0 for the first time ever to start off a season in franchise history. How many games will the Eagles win this year? There are 17 chances. When are they going to finally lose a football game? That's what we asked you in Fade the Public. So how many wins will the Eagles finish this season with? Will it be 12 or less? That would be pretty difficult already having eight. Will it be 13 or 14, 15 or 16? Or will it happen? Will Philadelphia be perfect? The unbeaten birds all year long, a undefeated 17-0 and season. There are some times where people say fade the public, which is the name of this segment. There are some times where the public and the odds makers go hand in hand because right now, the public is leading the way with 13 or 14 victories. If you were to update and refresh on the FanDuel Sportsbook, this is our poll at SportsGrid TV on Twitter, but if you were to update the win total for Philly on FanDuel, what is the number? 14 and a half. And where is the juice? On the under at minus 120. So the public, the odds makers, seeing the rest of this season outlook for Philadelphia through a very similar lens give me the over even money 15 and two philadelphia at the very least that does it for hour number one of this friday on the morning after we're back for hour number two we hit on some basketball as we set up the weekend college football and some final football friday thoughts as well come back and join us hour number two of tma up next. 